uh, you be our vision. Uh, we want to look to Jesus, not to the left or to the right, not to any leaders on earth, but to Jesus. So help us as we come to you at the beginning of this year as a body of Christ, gather together, be among us, stimulate our mind to grow and warm our hearts as we love Jesus more. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you here this morning. This morning, on the uh, first Sunday of year 2020, I want to bring you some uh, words of encouragement. And the, the title of the sermon that I put down is Growing Year. It is a green theme. It will be green. Because uh, the founder of Ray Crot, I don't know where you know, Ray Crot is the founder of uh, McDonald's. And he has a quote. He says, whenever you are green, you are growing. But when you are ripe, you start to rot. And so he, always, he says that you have, we always have to think green. It's only when you think green, you will keep growing. Like this. When you're green, you're growing. You're, when you're ripe, you start to rot. And so all of us as believers, we must think green so that we are always growing. There's no limit to what we can grow. Uh, St. Paul talks about, though outwardly we may be wasting away, but inwardly we are always being renewed uh, day by day. And so there's no limit to what we can grow inside of us, and uh, we need to do that. And so today I want to draw your attention to just one verse uh, in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18. That is the end of the uh, book of Peter. Uh, Peter wrote 1 and 2 Peter, although the Gospel of Mark was also not written by him, but by John Mark. Uh, Peter was uh, John Mark's mentor. So in that sense, he, he narrated a lot of things to John Mark, and John Mark put it together. So he wrote two, two letters. He said, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. So I want to make a point this, this sermon, this year, I want to challenge you to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. It's both growing in grace and growing in knowledge. There's this relationship in the Bible, isn't it? Not just only one or the other, grace and knowledge. The Bible talks about speaking the truth in love. No point growing in truth alone, but not love. Speaking the truth in love. They say truth without love is brutality. But love without truth is just pure sentimentality. Just sentimental. That's all. Uh, you're not speaking the truth. So we've got to hold these two intentions. Paul talked about speaking the truth in love. To me, that's the highest form of uh, uh, spiritual maturity both intellectually and emotionally as well. Many people intellectually, they are very mature, but emotionally they can be very immature. And so the Bible is always this too, about intellectual, emotional maturity as well, speaking the truth, but speaking the truth in love. Growing the gifts of the Spirit as well as the fruits of the Spirit. Growing the head and the heart. Uh, growing the intellect and emotional component, growing the understanding of doctrine, as well as your character. Uh, so it's, it's both. Maturity is both growing together, your heart and our mind, our intellect, as well as our emotional maturity. And so here, Peter, at the end of the letter of uh, chapter 3, tells us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour. Do you know that it's, uh, I actually look up something. Do you know there's such a thing called adult babies? There's even a club called Adult Babies Club, ABC. You can, you can check it out. It's big in UK, uh, Adults Baby Club, whereby being an adult baby and everything it involves can vary a lot from person to person. Typically, it will involve an adult dressing up as a baby wearing and using nappies and being treated like a child. And there are many stores in U.S. where you can actually buy uh, clothes for adult babies. Baby clothes, but in adult size. Uh, what causes them to do it? Uh, the reason behind why exactly the fully grown adult 
decide to dress up and act like children can't be found in one simple answer. For some, it's, it's a method of healing and a way to rid them of childhood trauma. Incredible, isn't it? Nowadays, it's this kind of therapy. I don't know. For others, it's merely a way to relax and unwind from the tensions of being an adult. And apparently, it's very popular. Uh, they have this thing called ABDL, Adults, Baby, Diapers, Lovers. Uh, and you can join a club and all that. Uh, you know, baby may be cute, um, but if a baby continues to be baby when they're 15 years old, uh, you wonder what's going on. You don't think that's cute. You probably will say, hey, you have to what? Grow up. We say that, isn't it? So spiritually, it's the same. Spiritually, we cannot be an adult baby. You can be a believer for many years, but are you growing in a sense? Or are you still an adult baby in the Lord? We have to grow. And so this year, I want to challenge you. I want to stir your hearts towards having this desire to want to grow. And of course, they say that the hardest part of our spirituality is to remain hungry. In any sports, any, anything in life, the hardest part is to remain hungry. And sometimes when you reach certain level, you think you've arrived, you know it all, and that is when everything starts to fall apart. And so I want to just comb through a number of verses in 2 Peter and then accumulating in this verse again. I want to revisit 2 Peter chapter 1 because there was an emergency situation in, in the book of Peter, in a sense, because he's departing. He's foreseeing that he's dying soon and he has people looking up to him, the church and all that, and he has been the number one disciple, the rock, and he wants to ensure that they continue in their race. And so in 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, in verse 6, he says, Make every effort. He said, Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if, Peter said, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, you know what will happen? They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Some of us feel unproductive and ineffective maybe because we are not growing and therefore, we kind of become stale in a sense. And so Peter is saying, make every effort to add all this thing to your faith, goodness, add to your goodness, knowledge, to your knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, mutual affection, to mutual affection, love. Because if we possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. While these are the Apostle Peter's last written words to the church, and he seems to know that he's getting near to the end of his life, and so down verse to 12, he tells us about that. He says, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. Even though you are unknown and you're on the right track, but I still need to remind you of that. Because something about spiritual life, something about our internal movement, that it can just, one minute can be high, the next minute can be out of the equation. Just like Elijah, one minute he was conquering, fighting Jezebel, and the next minute he was down as a depressed man wanting to end his life. So he said, I will always remind you of these things even though you know them and you are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. What a good uh, sound theology, isn't it? A right recognition that our time on earth is limited. It's like a tent. You live here on earth like living in the tent. You don't live permanently in a sense. Uh, as long as I live in the tent of this body. Because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. 
And I will make every effort, Peter said, I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things, to continue to grow, continue to add on to all these virtues that you already have, even though you're already on the right path. I still want to remind you, I want to make every effort to ensure that you continue down this pathway of growth. Because, he said, my time here is limited. And Peter's death is cited by Eusebius. Eusebius was a church historian in the 3rd century. Eusebius quoted uh, 1st century leader Clement, uh, who says that before Peter was crucified, he was forced to watch the crucifixion of his own wife. And as he took his wife away, Peter called to her by name and then said to her, Remember the Lord. And when it was Peter's turn to die, he pleaded with the people not to crucify him the way that they crucified Jesus Christ. Instead, they asked, he asked to be crucified upside down because he felt that he's even unworthy to die the similar way as Jesus. And thus, he was nailed to a cross, head downward. So this is Peter. He knew his time was up, and therefore, he wants to ensure that his, his people continue to grow, continue to grow. Otherwise, they'll be, become ineffective. Otherwise, they'll become unproductive. And then, why? Because there was a, a, a kind of urgency as well at the early church days because the church will be invaded by false teachers. Look at chapter 2. He went on to say, why you need to grow? Because there are false teachers around. And he says this, but there were also false prophets among the people just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destructions on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and they will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. As it is in the past, and it will be now, more so in the 21st century, in the information age, uh, it is necessary to be able to strengthen ourselves, stay rooted in the strong Word of God so that we can distinguish uh, good and bad, right and wrong. A.W. Tozer warned, A.W. Tozer classic author, warns decades ago of a new wind blowing across the fields of the evangelical church. And he said, if I see aright the cross of popular, <coughs> sorry, if I see aright the cross of popular evangelicalism is not the cross of the New Testament. It is rather a new bright ornament upon the bosom of self-assured and carnal Christianity. The old cross slew men. The new cross entertains them. The old cross condemns, the new cross amuses. The old cross destroys confidence in the flesh, but the new cross encourages it. And so even now, we still need to continue down the path of growing knowledge of Christ, biblically, theologically, as well as our characters. We need to continue to grow because of this new heresies is on the horizon. And there's this shift in churches nowadays, proclaiming that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. They would say that, but they have redefined what salvation means. Salvation is not simply under the new gospel, the forgiveness of sin and the imputation of righteousness. It is not a deliverance from the wrath of God upon a deserving and rebellious people. It's no longer that nowadays. Salvation is about, the new gospel is liberation from low self-esteem, a freedom from emptiness and loneliness, a means of fulfillment and excitement, a way to receive our heart's desire, a means of meeting our needs. It's all about that nowadays. It's, salvation is no longer about sin that Jesus come and redeem you from that. So the old gospel is about God and the new gospel is about us. The old gospel is about sin and the new gospel is about needs. The old gospel is about our need for righteousness and the new gospel is about our need for fulfillment. 
The old gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing, but the new gospel is attractive. And many are flocking to the new gospel, but it's altogether questionable how many are actually being saved. Many years ago, uh, the American uh, journalist in the ABC uh, news anchorman by the name of uh, Peter Jennings, uh, some of us may may heard of him and watched some of his uh, news and all that. He, in 1995, he actually did a documentary called In the Name of God uh, because there was an uprising of the new paradigm shift of the new church, uh, user-friendly church and all that. And uh, he went on to do a couple of uh, sessions interviewing many people on that ground. And towards the end of it, his conclusion of this was this statement. He said, Are these churches try?" As these churches, sorry, as these churches try to attract sellout crowds, are they also in danger of selling out the gospel? As these churches try to attract sellout crowds, are they in danger of being of selling out the gospel? You can watch that on Netflix, uh, in the name of God by Peter Jennings. So, how will the church survive this kind of attack where? Peter was just talking about I'm leaving and all that and because false teacher, false prophet is on the horizon and all that how should we all that? And then Peter went of course we can follow Peter Peter says in Peter 1 he said we did not he said we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ but we were eyewitnesses of His Majesty so we can follow Peter, eyewitnesses and all that, but hang on a minute, Peter just said that he's going to die soon, so what was his, actually his strategy in that sense of uh, can't be there all the time, right? Just like parents, we can't be there all the time for our children. At some point, they need to be, to be on their own. And so Peter went on to say, well, then look to the Scripture. You then equip yourself with the Scripture. He went on to say, and we have the word of the prophets, something more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And above all, you must understand that no prophecies of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecies never had its origin in the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so here he said, well, I'm going to leave. I want you to go down this pathway or continue to grow, but I'm not going to be around all the time. So the only reliable source is you go back to the Word of God. You go back to the Word of God with the Holy Spirit empowering you. You can continue to grow and lead and to be able to fan off this false teaching, be able to distinguish between all these false teachings that are flooding on our horizon. And then as a matter of uh, example, Peter then went on to give a simple illustration. For example, he said, chapter 3, there's, there's this thing. He said, Dear friend, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. Isn't that beautiful words? That when we read the scripture, it is to help us to stimulate and develop wholesome thinking that we will think rightly. We will evaluate things rightly based on the biblical view, biblical information that inform us of our values, that we'll be able to evaluate things in the right way, that we see the world through the lens of the Scripture. Because Scripture has a view on all things. Scripture has a view on love. Scripture has a view on marriage. Scripture has a view on the problem with this world. Scripture has a view with, on death. Scripture has a view on what happened after you die. And so we must evaluate all things through the lens of the Scripture. And so this is what Peter is saying. I have written you two letters, and I wrote both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking, to think biblically, to view things, evaluate things biblically using the scripture as your guide. And then he went on to say in verse 4, there is some false teaching that was floating at that time. And he said, now the false teachers will deny the second coming of Christ. They will say, where is this coming he promised? 
So that was that time floating around this, this concept of Christ's second coming. Hey, where is he coming? You say he's going to come in, he's going to return, he's going to return, he's going to return. So many years has passed, yet he's still not returned yet. And 2,000 years later now, we're still, we're still talking about second coming of Christ, we're still thinking of when. And of course, Peter went on to explain, and we all know the favorite, famous verse about not everyone to perish, but he's just patient in a sense uh, for others to come to know him. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has been since the beginning of creation. So there's an, there's an ancient heresy, but also a modern one. Lots of people today are saying exactly that. But although it sounds a little bit different, we don't believe quite in the second coming of Christ anymore. So Peter is saying that whatever how we evaluate this life on earth, we must have the view of His coming as well. Scripture has so much to talk about His coming. John 14 verse 1, a famous and comforting passage to so many people. Say, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have not, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will what? Come back. So Christ's second coming is He promised. And even in Acts chapter 1, when the disciples stood below and when Jesus was taken up, ascended to heaven, in Acts chapter 1, what did he say again? The angels told them something, right? The angels said, why are you looking up? This Christ who depart will return again. So that was the issues there at that time of these heresies of not believing the second coming of Christ. And today is the same. So we have to evaluate and live our life in wholesome thinking and letting the Scripture inform our view. For example, a fool says in his heart, there is no God, right? In Proverbs or in Psalms, both says that. And so if based on this definition, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. That means to say the Scripture defines fool not as someone as uneducated, The scripture defines fool as someone who refused to acknowledge that there is a God. That means to say, Jeff Bezos, who is the richest man on the planet, who has a wealth of $115 billion. I can't even imagine. Somebody said that if you were to count one to one billion, it would take you like 65 years or something like that. Uh, Jeff Bezos, who's the richest man, he, he, he's worth $115 billion. Or Bill Gates, $110 billion. Or Warren Buffett, $89 billion. Mark Zuckerberg, $77 billion. So if these people, in the eyes, if we evaluate the scripture, they are considered fool because they don't acknowledge God. Whereas compared to a someone who lives up in the village in Tibet, who living in poverty, but believe in Jesus, in the eyes of the scripture, that person is wise. That person is wise. So we have to evaluate scripture, we have to evaluate the world situation based on what the scripture says. Wholesome thinking. A Christian biology is radically different from a non-Christian biology. A Christian economics is radically different from a non-Christian economics. A Christian philosophy is radically different from a non-Christian philosophy. We cannot simply accept the fashionable thinking of the world. We must think differently. Not only we must think differently, but we must act differently. And even climate change, we have to also evaluate differently. Did you know that in 2 Peter, it tells us about what will be the end uh, of the world like. So we have to evaluate differently. In Second Peter chapter 3, it says this uh, in verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. And then he went on to say, Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Again, helping you, shaping you, informing, guiding you to look beyond letting the scripture shape you into thinking how you should live while you are here on earth. And that is where Peter 
combing all these things about adding on to the virtues that he is departing and then uh, there's, there is uh, false teachers around, uh, all these things. And then coming down to, towards the end, he again to the conclusion of it. And therefore he said, Therefore, my dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. So be warned, just stay on your guard. Be on guard because of all this kind of uh, false teaching and heresies around. He said, stay on your guard. And then he went on to say, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. And that was the last word of Peter. His final words. The number one apostle, Peter, who was called to the Jewish people. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so over the next couple of months, over the next couple of months, uh, we are going to explore on some of the essentials of a disciples. Some of the essentials of the disciples on the word, on love, and many aspects. And, and may God help us to grow. There are some evidences of growth in grace and knowledge. Maybe increase in love, an increase of faith, increase of the knowledge of God, an increase in the fruit of the Spirit. There are many areas that we need to grow, both in our knowledge and our characters. We add to those virtues. So I hope and I pray that over this year, as we embark with new building and all this kind of thing, it can serve as a, as a way to help us to move towards growth together. Not just only increase in number, but internally as a Christian, that we must move towards wanting to grow, moving towards maturity and increase of love. We'll talk about that in one of the sessions a few weeks' time. An increase of faith, increase of the knowledge of God, increase of the fruits of the Spirit. God uses all kinds of ways to help us grow. All kinds of ways. I, I could think of five. I could think of five uh, as a Christian here. The first one I could think of is He uses His Word. Yeah? We just talk about using His Word, the Lord, the words to move us towards wholesome thinking. Right thinking always move us to right living, right behavior. And sometimes we, we did the wrong thing by just only wanting to change and modify the behavior. But in reality, we need to... Why so much of the time spent in church is through teaching? Did you realize that if you have one and a half hours of get Christian gathering together, how would you structure our church service? Singing, we have singing, sometimes we have scripture reading, we have prayer, and when we have refreshment. What would you do if you are in a position to shape one and a half hours coming together? Did you realize that Christians spend bulk of their time during service time is in the area of teaching? It's precisely because we believe that it is true the word that shapes our thinking that will ultimately affect the way we live. And so many times we only attack the behavior, but in reality we have to, we have to address those issues that shape your behavior, the values. So behavior comes from values, and values come from your belief system. Belief system. And so, so about a lot of time here at church is based on, that's why we have cell group Bible study, we have a Christian education class, Sunday service, you hear what is being preached. It's precisely because we want to move people toward thinking rightly, biblically so that we can then move outward towards our behavior, our values, and then the shapes our behavior. There are so many verses in the Bible that talks about God uses His Word to shape us. Like 1 Peter talks about, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the Word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. And then God also used trouble and experience to shape us, to mold us. I dare to say that you, we can't grow characters without going through some struggle in our lives. Uh, trouble, trials, difficulties, dark night of the soul. We need to go through those struggle and pain for God to use it to shape and mold us to be the kind of person that He wants us to be. And James talked about that. We studied that about consider it all joy when you encounter trials 
knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And so sometimes when we go through trials and, and, and pain and all that is God's way of molding and shaping. As difficult as it is, as hard as it is, it either will help you to grow or you will go astray. So we have to respond to trials properly based on what the Bible tells us about trials. And the Bible tells us that trial is to mold and shape us. And therefore, we uh, then can respond to trials correctly. And remember in James chapter 1, verse 5, James, we often quote this verse. James said, if anyone lack wisdom, he can ask God, right? and God will give wisdom to you. Again, you apply in the context, is in the context of trials. Meaning to say that when we go through trials and difficulties in our life, it's very easy for us to respond in a negative way. And that is why James is saying, no, no, during trial you need wisdom from God so that this wisdom that you have from us, so that you can respond to trials in a correct manner. That is in the context of wisdom. Of course, we can extend it. That to means wisdom to apply in, in other areas as well. But specifically in James chapter 1, that wisdom context is in trials. That we need wisdom from God so that we will respond to trials in the correct way. And, and God uses trouble and experience to shape and mold us that I'm sure many of us who have been through life uh, knows that whether you suffer from illness or some sort of physical ailment you know those are the time that you are closest to the Lord those are the time you feel the presence of God the most when you are at the lowest point of your life and then he also uses the private devotional life in your own time with the Lord I dare to say that many of my growth come from those kind of private time on my own, thinking, praying, seeking the Lord, evaluating many things, constantly asking God to purify my motives, my decision. And I tend to think that prayer is all about that. It's all about purifying our motives and asking, re-evaluate again what you're asking, is it of the Lord? And He uses those kind of private moments to shape you, to help you to grow inwardly. And so no matter how busy you are, uh, I pray that you will set aside time every day. Quieten yourself before the Lord and spend time with Him. Whether it's go for, as you're walking or whether it's in a quiet moment, you can take out your Bible and read or follow a, a Bible reading plan or devotional materials. Uh, make sure you have that going for you. So he uses a private devotional life. Also God he uses public worship and service at church service worship service as well as you using your gifts to serve God. That is also a platform that God uses to help to grow you. Your faith can never grow if you don't move out of your comfort zone. And so I'm very glad for me, I always in my mind, I always believe that every Christian needs to involve in one church building project because it is a platform for the whole church as a community to experience God. Increasingly as a pastor, as I grow in my own spiritual life, I'm becoming a bit disillusioned. About many Christians, they only know God, but they don't experience God. They don't experience God. They only know it's all about cognitive and knowledge, but you don't experience God in your life. And unless you move out of your comfort zone, you can't experience God. So long as you keep on in your own protected area, do within your comfort zone, you cannot experience God in your life. But until you push out of it, then you see and experience God in your life. And as a church, we want to experience God corporately as well by seeing how God provides so it's not just an individual experience as a Christian, but as a church, as a body of Christ, we experience God together. We pray together. We see things happen. We see how God provides for us of this project. And we can experience God corporately as a body of Christ together. So He uses public worship. He uses service. And you use your gifts. You roll up your sleeve. Things that you think you can't do, but I'm, I'm willing to give it a go. And God will honor that. 
It's not your ability, it's your availability that really matter. You avail yourself and God in His sovereign way will empower you to bless you and to use you and to use your gift for benefiting other people. And lastly, He also uses the fellowship of believers. How much of our needs are met by others? Other Christians have spiritual gifts as well. They can use your spiritual gifts to minister to you, to help you in your journey together. So he uses the fellowship of believers. Gifts are used for the benefit of the body of Christ. As 1 Corinthians 12 talks about that. So some friends will stretch us, some friends will strengthen us, but I'm so concerned nowadays, you know, everything is harsh. So sometimes true friends can't even say, say really confronting words to some people without being, feeling offended. And as Christian, as I grow, I realize that people who dare to speak truth to you are the people that actually loves you and cares for you. And so I value people who, who speak truth, who have your concern, have your you concerned about you. And so as pastors, sometimes we preach, we say things because we love you, we care for you. Not because we want to judge anyone. That's not for us to do. But uh, as, a, as a parents, you say things to your children that their friends will never say to them. And so fellowship of believers help you to grow as well. So this year, uh, it is my prayer. It is our prayer that you will move towards wanting to grow. Grow in the knowledge. Grow in the grace. And we need to strengthen our fundamental belief. We need to know about who God is. We need to know about Jesus Christ. We need to know the Holy Spirit. We need to know doctrine. We need to know Scripture. We need to know human nature, sin. And all these are were built in this year. We're going to have many Christian education classes. I have a, a studies that I put together many years ago that I've run a couple of times now called 20 Basic Beliefs that Every Christian Needs to Know. 20 basic beliefs every Christian needs to know. And I'm going to roll out, we're going to roll out overview of the Bible. We're going to roll out many things. KYB, know your Bible. KYB, yes. I ordered 20 books already. We're going to start uh, soon. And so if you are keen, come and see me. Uh, I haven't decided on the time yet uh, or the day yet. So depending on how many people register, I ordered 20 books. So if you're keen on KYB, meaning know your Bible, it's not as intense as BSF. Uh, it's just, just, just good enough, you know, uh, not as intense. So, so it's something that we want to roll out. Uh, so if you're keen on KYB, come and talk to me, come and see me. And next week, I'll put out the form for you to sign up and we can arrange a time. And there, there are other things uh, that we're going to roll out, Alpha course and all, all things. And we hope and pray that it is a year that you will make a decisive step in your heart to want to grow. But I want to conclude by asking you to take risk. As Christian, you must take some risk. Take some risk to love. Take some risk to serve God. Take some risk to be offended. <laughs> you know, take some risk to... Uh, you don't have to be the, the, the good man all the time. And sometimes when you be a disciple of Christ, you must dare to take some risk in loving people, even though sometimes loving people, you can get hurt. Uh, but I want to challenge you to uh, take some rich risk. There's a story about this young man. Let me just close with this. About this young man who was standing in the middle of a town and he was proclaiming that he had the most beautiful heart in the whole valley. And so a large crowd gathered and they all admired his heart because it was a perfect heart. There was not a mark, there was not a mark, there was no flaw in his heart. And so they all agreed that it truly was the most beautiful heart they had ever seen. And so the young man was very proud and he boasted more loudly about his beautiful heart. And then suddenly an old man uh, appeared at the front of the crowd. And the old man said to him, Why your heart is not nearly as beautiful as mine? The crowd and the young man looked at the old man's heart. It was beating very strongly. 
but her heart was full of scars. It had places where pieces had been removed and other pieces put in, but didn't quite fit right, and there were several jagged edges. In fact, in some places, there were deep gouges where whole pieces were missing. The people stared. How can he say his heart is more beautiful? They thought. And the young man looked at the old man's heart and saw its state and laughed. And said, he must be joking. Old man, compare your heart with mine. Mine is perfect and yours is a mess of scars and tears. And the old man acknowledged and said, yes, yours is perfect looking, but I would never trade with you. You see, every scar represents a person to whom I have given my love. I tear out a piece of my heart and I give it to them. And often they give me a piece of their heart which fits into the empty place in my heart. But because the pieces aren't exact, I have some rough edges which I cherish because they remind me of the love we shared. Sometimes I've given pieces of my heart away and the other person hasn't returned a piece of his heart to me. These are the empty gorgeous. Giving love is taking a chance. Although these holes are painful, they stay open, reminding me of the love I have for these people too. And I hope someday they may return and fill the space I have wait, that I have waiting. So now do you see what true beauty is? And the young man stood silently with tears running down his cheeks. He walked up to the old man reached into his perfect young and beautiful heart and ripped a piece out and he offered it to the old man with trembling hands and the old man took his offering placed it in his heart and then took a piece from his old scarred heart and placed it in the wound in the young man's heart exchange it fit but not perfectly as there were some jagged edges and the young man looked at his heart not perfect anymore, but more beautiful than ever, since love from the old man's heart flow into his. They embrace and they walk side by side. And so my friend, I want you to take risks. I hope and I pray that you will take risk. Take risks. Take risks to love. Take risks to grow. As C.S. Lewis say, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and probably be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around the hobbies and little luxuries. You avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the coffin or casket of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. And the only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love is hell. And so what C.S. Lewis basically is saying that to love is very risky, but to not love is even worse. It's even worse. It's almost like saying the cost of discipleship is great, the cost of following Christ is great, but the cost of not following Him is even greater. And so I want to challenge you this year, go for growth, take some risk. Take some risk, accumulate knowledge in terms of spiritual growth, but take some risk in your heart and grow inside of you and rely on God, the Holy Spirit, to mold and to shape you and to help you to move toward wholesome believers, mature emotionally and mature intellectually able to speak the truth in love growing in the fruit of the spirit and the gifts of the spirit your head and your mind and in one into maturity father thank you for for your word thank you for peter thank you for his uh, final words to us to grow in the knowledge and grace of our lord jesus christ I pray that this year will be a year of growth for us 
individually, Lord, individually, as believers, as disciples, sitting here, we make a decision in our hearts that we want to follow Jesus. We want to focus on Him. We want to put Him first. We want to fix our eyes on Jesus. That we want to grow. We want to grow intellectually by knowing your word so that we can fend and uh, all this heresy that is floating around. We know how to distinguish between good and bad and right and wrong. It's sad, Lord, that in this age that we live in, just by stating the obvious, is nowadays it's a sign of uh, someone that is intelligent. Just by stating the obvious, we, reach, we sung so low that even by stating what is obvious is considered intelligent. Because obvious is no longer obvious. We've been so clouded with so many things, so many worldly views that we no longer how to distinguish between good and bad and right and wrong. Give us discernment, Lord, as we grow. Help us to take risks this year. Take risks to, to love you. Take risks to love someone, to show love. Take risks to share the gospel. Take risks and let our heart be on our sleeve even though we may be hurt. It's okay. That's the time that we can grow because by not putting out there is worse. Our heart becomes cold and we begin to backslide. We don't grow anymore and we become unproductive. We become ineffective because we are no longer growing in increasing measure. So Lord, thank you. Thank you that you're a good God and you want us to grow this year. Thank you for this church. Thank you for your amazing provision, your amazing grace that is showered on this church. And may this church continue to shine for you in this community that we may lead many people to come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. As we sing this closing uh, hymn, as this closing beautiful song, uh, yes, all glory be to you, Lord. All glory be to you. Amen. Would you stand as we uh, sing this beautiful song with the familiar tune of Orland Zai. Should nothing of our efforts stand, no legacy survive unless the Lord does praise the house in vain its builders strive.
Thank you, Lord. May the coming year be one of increased riches of grace, hearing His voice more clearly, knowing His heart more deeply, resting in His love more fully, trusting in His care more completely, walking His pathway more peacefully, knowing His presence more intimately, blessed by His goodness more abundantly. And in all things, may you know the shalom peace of God, encouraging you to move forward, empowering you to boldly take each step, greeting you as you turn a new corner, calming your heartbeat as you walk through dark valleys, softening each footstep as you climb rugged mountains and increasing your courage as you follow your shepherd wherever He leads you now and forevermore. Amen.